Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to Grace this weekend and happy Mother's Day. If that's uh, not an announcement to you, but a discovery for you, you are dead. Uh, so I'm just bailing you out right now. But happy Mother's Day weekend. And uh, I want to take a minute and just pray for all of our moms and ask God's blessing on you. So if you're sitting next to your mom or close to a mom that you know and love, put your arm around here for a second and uh, let's just pray together for them, okay? Jesus, love you and thank you for Mother's Day. Lord, I'm grateful that there's a day that we stop and celebrate and we remember how precious our mothers are to us and what a gift being a mom is. And so we're grateful for that, Lord. When you designed us and designed how we would know you and understand you, you gave us a mother and a father so that we could understand more of the completeness of who you are. And it's through our mom that we learn so much about you and her sacrifice and her giving and her strength and her dignity and the truth that she uh, brings through her life. Lord, we're just grateful for all of that. So Lord, we wanna pray a blessing on all the mothers and the grandmothers that are here. And God, we wanna ask that you give them wisdom and strength and joy and a passion for you and a passion for the high calling on their lives, God. And God, we remember those. Some of us have lost our moms and then we, we grieve a little bit on a day like today. Some of us would love to be a mom and we haven't been blessed in that way. And so Lord, we wanna remember that as well. And we just bring all of that to you, God. And we rest in those things. We give you our joys and our pain. And uh, we trust you with it. God, so bless these women in a special way. And uh, we celebrate them. We respect them. We honor them. And we ask that you just keep your hand on them this week in a unique way, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Well, we've been in a series here these last few weeks called uh, So Close, Things to Get In Between Us and God. And we've been talking about this idea that there's like a fine line a lot of times in life, right? There's a fine line between something that's tragic and something that's funny. There's a fine line between victory and defeat. And those fine lines run into our relationship with God that we can pursue God and chase God and even be close to God. And we can kind of be right there sometimes. But the way that we perceive God and understand God can keep us from really embracing who he is, maybe through our salvation, but then also the life that he's calling us to and the life that he wants to give us. And so we've been talking about that for a few weeks and I talked about it for the first few weeks and then Pastor Todd and Pastor Joe talked about it the last couple weeks. And this weekend, I want to wrap up this series. And I want to do that by leaning into kind of a, a specific part of, of what we've been talking about. This is what we've said, that through this series, we're going to talk about the fears, the doubts, and the other barriers that keep us from fully embracing the story, the hope, and the life that Jesus wants to gift to us. And this weekend, I really want to talk about this idea of the fears and the doubts and how those things can become barriers to truly embracing this life that, that God wants to give us. Um, here in a few weeks, uh, I will have been at the church for 28 years. And only being 35, that's been a, a really a dynamic story for me. But um, I, So I've been a pastor for 28 years my whole adult life. And as I've uh, kind of had those experience and watched kind of folks and tried to help them with their relationship with Jesus, 
What I found is this, if I was kind of generalizing, uh, there's a couple of things that really cause us to hang up in our understanding of Christ. And here at Grace, we talk a lot about, we want you to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus. What's his love for you and how's he think? What's he want? And as I've looked at that over the years, I found that there's, there's a couple of like, I just call them traps that we, we get ourselves in. And there's kind of in our effort to want to please Christ and in our effort to almost be humble at times, uh, we can get trapped in these things and they really become the barriers that keep us from fully embracing who God is and kind of fully believing what he says and, and what he, he wants to, to get to us. So I wanna look at that a little bit. I wanna show you a person in the Bible who I think got into these traps. And then I wanna show you how Jesus responded to all of it, how he responded to him, and then how he wants to and he does respond to us as well. Okay, so here's the, the first trap that I, I kind of observe that people get into a lot. And I just called it a performance trap. And in my relationship with God, we'll get in this performance trap. But here's the thinking that comes in a performance trap. It's this idea that God will love me because I deliver. And we'll do this a lot in our pursuit of God. We will, we will do lots and lots of good works. And good works are very good things, the, the book of James says, the, the apostle James says. But they can also be very false things. And so most people, if you ask most people, how do you get to heaven? Most people will say some version of you do good, more good things than bad things and like you get in. And so we'll pursue our relationship with God that way. And we'll kind of look to God and say, God, look at all these good things I do for you. I, I, I go to church most of the time. I don't smoke, drink, chew, date girls who do, cheer for Michigan, or like cats. All the things that God hates. Like, I don't do any of that stuff. I, I, I give money. I'm kind. I have a moral compass, a moral code, like all those kind of things. And I tend to do better than the people around me. And somewhere in us, we'll say it a bunch of different ways, but somewhere in us, we believe that. Like, I'm going to do for God. And I'm going to deliver for God. And if I do this more than I don't do it, then I'll be close to God. God will be pleased with me. And I'll almost kind of make him love me a little bit, right? Now... If you, as a child, were wounded, I was like this. I was wounded as a child. Somebody said something to me that they told me, I, they accused me of something, and they told me I would never amount to anything. And then they withdrew relationship from me. Not my mom or my dad, but somebody else. And, and when that happened to me, this is the lie that came into my mind. The lie was this if I can perform at a high enough level, people will have to like me and have to be involved with my life, right? That's what, that's what I believed. And so what I grew up believing, which was a falsehood, was that if I performed, if I was, uh, if I was just good enough or indispensable or the greatest person at this, that would draw people to me, lock people into relationship with me, and I would earn their love because of that. And you may have some version of that, right? You may have been taught that if you're good at sports, your dad will cheer for you. 
You may have been taught that if you got good grades, your mom would give you a pat on the back. Uh, you may have been taught that if you're the hardest worker, your boss, you'll be employee of the month every month and get the parking spot to prove it, right? And somewhere in you, you have this idea that I will be loved because I deliver and that idea will translate into your relationship with God. And you'll get stuck in that trap. I must do, I must do, I must accomplish, I must accomplish. I know that God says that what he wants from me is to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but it's got to be more complicated than that, right? And I watch, just over my little tenure as being a pastor, 28 years, like I see a lot of us in that. And a lot of us were even raised in churches where we were kind of taught that, right? That that's what you need to do for God. And so that's one of the traps that we get in. The other trap that I, I see is, and there's a ton, but I only picked two because of time, but the, other, the only one, other one that I see us in a lot is this one. I call this one the shame trap. The shame trap. And the shame trap sounds like this. I have failed so deeply that God must be done with me. See? I, I am the one, I know, like I think I'm gonna go to heaven because Jesus said he would never leave me or forsake me and I'm kind of banking on that but God can't use me. I'm the one. I, I, I knew how I was supposed to live and I rejected that. I, if you knew my past, if you knew my addictions, if you, if you knew my record, if you knew my morality, it, I'm the one, because of my first marriage, because of my second marriage, because of what I did, because of how I failed. And shame gets in us and we will create life kind of built off of that shame. And our relationship with God will work that way. Maybe you were wounded as a child and you were told, you know, there's, there's one sin you don't do. Now you, you better be a virgin. You, you better not get, you better not use, you better not, like there's, you better not have that. There's a one sin that you don't do and you did that sin. And now the response that you got was you were rejected, you were shamed, you were embarrassed because of it. And your relate that will translate into your relationship with God and your relationship with God now is built from shame up. Performance down, shame up. I have messed my life up so deeply that God is done with me, right? Now, the Apostle Peter was a fascinating guy. And the Apostle Peter was a guy that had a performance complex. He thought he was great, right? He was Peter, Peter, Right, that's who he thought he was. I don't, know, I don't know if he did that or not, I just did. But, right, so I don't know if they did that in the Bible or they, they would have done it in Hebrew. It would have looked more like that, right? So Peter was this performance guy. And Peter does something fascinating in Matthew chapter 26. He makes this really, really arrogant boast to Jesus. They're at the Last Supper, the First Communion. And Jesus is talking all about the bread and the cup and washing each other's feet. And Jesus at that last supper says, by the way, guys, somebody in this room's gonna betray me. And somebody's gonna, Satan's gonna use somebody in this room. Jesus knew it was Judas, nobody else did, but it's gonna betray me. Peter, after Jesus says that, kind of saddles up next to Jesus, and he's like, listen, 
it's not gonna be me. It's not gonna be me. I am performance Peter. Like I, I just win, win, win all the time. That's all I do is win, 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 right? That's who I am. I am performance Peter. And he actually said, he said, Jesus, everybody else may betray you, but I won't. Hey, they're weak, but I'm not. I'm Peter, right? And Jesus is like, mm, Peter, I don't know. I mean, that's pretty boastful. And he said, he said, Peter, that's not true. He's like, let me tell you something. Before the night's over, you're gonna deny that you know me three times when I'm in the middle of the crucifixion process. And Peter actually argued with Jesus, which, side note, is never a good play. Don't argue with Jesus, you're gonna lose. And so he argued with Jesus. He said, not me. I will never deny you because I'm performance Peter. I perform and you have to love me more than everybody else because I have somehow earned that love. That's Matthew chapter 26. Now Peter makes this big boast. Peter didn't even get out of the chapter. Later on in chapter 26, he denies Jesus three times. He's, people are like, aren't you with Jesus? They're like, he's like, no, I'm not with Jesus. And this little girl is like, I think he's with Jesus. And he's like, no, I'm not. Quit talking to me, little girl. And he denies it again. And another guy's like, uh, I can tell by your accent that you're with Jesus. He's like, no, I talk like this all the time. And I, like, he's like, what are you talking about? And he actually calls down curses from heaven on these people because he's so adamant that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. And performance Peter went from I'll never blow it to shame, right? To shame. And both of these things defined him. He thought he was earning love, but he found out you can't earn it because it's already been given. And then he thought he was fully, like he's cooked, he's done. Because if you're gonna blow it with Jesus, as Jesus is being crucified, that's when Peter blows it, right? The worst possible moment to be in the worst possible place and performance trapped him and shame trapped him and both of those things are often a part of our relationship with God, see? Now, the apostle John wrote a book, and he actually wrote four, but he wrote the book of John and then first, second, third John. He wasn't real creative in naming his books. But he says something in first John that I think is very, very fascinating. First John chapter one, verse eight and nine. I wanna dig at this for a minute. He says this. He says, if we claim to be without sin and deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John, think about a performance trap and a shame trap, says, listen, let's talk about this for a second. If, it's a big if, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I want you to see this. Right? If I'm in the performance trap, what I'm doing is I'm claiming to be without sin. If I have it in my mind that I have performed at such a high level spiritually that God is mandated to love me, 
then what I'm saying is I don't need the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. I've handled that on my own. Sin is not an issue in my life because I have overcome it. it. As a Christ follower, if you have any sense of arrival, if you look at any aspect of your life, and you're like, you know what? That one I'm good. I got, I got nothing else to learn. I got nothing else to say. If Jeff teaches on this one, I just fill in the blanks and I go watch YouTube. Like, I, I'm just good to go. If you have any sense of arrival in your life spiritually, then what you're doing is you're claiming to be without sin. And John says, if we do that, what we're doing is we're deceiving ourselves because the truth is not in us. And in performance, what I'll do is I'll deny the truth because I wanna outperform the sin. See? I, I just wanna turn it into a religion Go to church enough, don't smoke, drink, chew, day girls to do, cheer for Michigan. I just want, I just give some money. I just make myself morally superior because if I can outperform sin, then I don't need the grace of God, I have earned it. And the apostle John would look at you and he would say, listen, if you think you can do that, like what's the point of Jesus' death and resurrection if you can just deal with your own sin. If you think you can do that, you're deceiving yourself and there's no truth within you whatsoever. Now, ready? This is what's weird. The performance trap is in many of our lives and in most of our lives equally, there's a shame trap. And in the shame trap, what you say is this. I live in shame because God can't possibly deal with my sin. So I also am going to deal with my own sin. I'm going to be embarrassed enough, humiliated enough, repentant enough. I'm going to go so deep into my own sin that I'm in essence gonna pay for my own sin and that's what makes me acceptable to God. I don't care if I gotta be a monk, I don't have to, if I gotta join the nunnery, I don't know what I gotta do, I'm a missionary to Michigan, I don't know what it is, but I will do that because what I did is so horrible that I have to pay for my sin. And the Apostle John would look and say, if you think that, you're deceiving yourself. Right? And the truth isn't in you. Here, we're denying that we need God because I can handle that. Right? I don't need your power. I don't need your strength. I got it. You kind of need mine, Jesus. You kind of need mine, right? I am so, you have to love me. I was like, you're, you're crazy. You're deceiving yourself. Down here, we're denying the power of God. So God can't forgive you? God can't change? When God says that your sin is thrown as far as the east is from the west, that's not true for you? It's true for everybody else, but not you? You have to live in it? Both of these things are denying what sin is, deceiving ourselves about who we think we are, 
And the truth of Christ is not within us, right? And even as we're trying to connect to God, we can be so close, but that's the barrier. Because I'm not, I'm not believing that I'm in need of forgiveness, and I'm not believing that I've received it. And so my relationship with God is built off of something completely different than what God says, right? Now, John says, if we claim to be without sin, here's this mess. Now, thankfully, he goes on in the next verse, and he says, there's another if. So if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, the, the truth of God's not in us. But then in verse 9, he says this. He says, if, if we confess our sins, if, if we agree with God that I can't perform my way to heaven and I don't live in the shame and guilt the rest of my life. If I confess my sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he forgives us and will purify us from all sins. What does this mean? God, somewhere in my head, I got it that if I perform at such a high level, I will earn your love. Where did that come from? That probably came from some place when you were a little kid and you started to believe that if I hit the home run, somebody will love me more. And Jesus would say, if you would quit claiming that, and if you would confess that actually you just have sin that needs to be dealt with, what I will do is I will be faithful. I will heal that wound. I will correct that thinking. I'm faithful to you because I don't want you thinking that you have to hit a home run for me. The problem with you is that you can't hit a home run for me. Your good works are like filthy rags to me. I hit the home run for you. I am faithful. But, but God, I, I have sinned. I need to be better. Right, I, I'm just. I'm not saying that there's no ramifications to anything in your life. But I also have forgiven you. I knew what you were like before you met me. I have forgiven you and I have purified or cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Right? I'm in the shame trap. Uh, if I claim that you aren't who you say you are, then I'm deceiving myself. The truth. Well, if you would confess your sin, what? I, I confess it all the time. Wrong sin. Confess your lack of belief in my forgiveness. Confess your lack of trust in my grace. Confess your, your lack of understanding of my power. Not the thing you did, the belief that you don't have. If you confess your sin, I will be faithful. Because where did that come from? That came probably from you being a little kid and somebody looking at you and saying, you know what, you'll never amount to anything. You know what you are? You're impure, you're an addict, you're a whatever, you're a whatever, you're a whatever. That's, that's who you are. I'm faithful to heal that, but Lord, there's consequences. Right, I'm just, I'm not, sin is sin and we have to deal with it. I'm a holy, righteous God, but I'm also a forgiving, gracious, compassionate God and I will purify you, I will cleanse you. You are clean. 
You are forgiven, you are changed, you are not what you were, right? If you confess who I am, who you are, instead of claiming that you are not and that I am not, right? Jesus would say this, he'd say don't build your life in your shame, and don't build your relationship with me in your shame. That, that's not how this works. You are transformed, you are changed, you are forgiven. The old is gone, the new has come. Build your life and build your faith in the victory of who you are. Don't build your life in your shame. He also would say, don't build your life in your performance. God, I did, I did, I did, I did. Actually, buddy, I, I did, so you don't have to. You can rest in my grace and you can rest in my forgiveness and you can rest in my love. You don't have to earn it. I already gave it to you. I knew exactly what you were like before you ever met me. And I chose to love you anyways. Don't build your life in your shame. Don't build your life in your performance. Build your life in your confession. Confession of what? Well, confession of sin. The sin of disbelief that I think I have to earn my love. The sin of disbelief that I think that I'm the, I'm the one who can't be forgiven. The confession of your sin and the confession of me, of Christ. That my life is built on Christ. My future is built on Christ. My past is surrendered to Christ, see. And that in Christ... My shame is put behind me. In Christ, my performance is thrown below me. I'm fixing my eyes on him, right? Not trying to earn a love that's already been given and not scorning a love that's already been given, but embracing that fully. Peter looked at Jesus and he's like, I'm never, ever failing. He didn't even make it through the chapter. Okay. So Peter boasts, and then Peter fails. Jesus dies. Three days later, he raises again from the dead, and Peter starts to interact with the risen Savior. I bet you there were some awkward moments in there. You ever done something to somebody you're ashamed of? You ever try to make eye contact with them? Hey, hey, how you doing? <laughs> so poor Peter... Peter's all amped up that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's like, you're alive. The whole, the, the whole denial thing. Listen, I, you can relate to that. He, he had this braggadociousness about being the highest performer and the shame and the embarrassment. Yeah, Jesus, when you needed me the most, I called curses down on children. So Jesus sees Peter a couple of times. And their relationship, not on Jesus' part, but on Peter's part, he's like, I don't know where I stand now with God. I thought I was a high performer. Really, I'm a big failure. What is my relationship with God? So the Bible tells us this in the book of John, chapter 21. Jesus shows up to talk to Peter some more. And Peter, it was interesting what he did. He went fishing he went back and he went fishing again. 
And when he went back and he went fishing, he got back in that boat. And what you see is his performance and his shame playing in tension with each other. Because when Jesus first met Peter, he was in a boat. And Jesus called him. He was a fisherman. He said, Peter, get out of that boat. Come be fishers of men with me. And so he had been following Jesus, proclaiming Christ, being a disciple. Then he blows it. And so he goes back to the boat. And the boat for Peter was a place of shame and performance. I'm called to be a fisher of men, a proclaimer of Jesus Christ, a disciple and apostle, but I blew that. So I guess I'll just go back to the boat. And I feel lousy about my stuff, but I'm really good at being a fisherman. So I win here. I'm a big deal here, I like it here, so I'm gonna go back to where I can perform at a high level and somehow maybe it will help me mask my shame. So he's back in the boat, John chapter 21, Jesus shows up on the shore. And the Bible says that when Jesus showed up on the shore, Peter saw him. And when he saw him, he did something hilarious. He jumped out of the boat and he swam to the shore to be with Jesus. He got out of that trap of shame and that trap of performance, and he looked and said, what I need to be is back with Christ. I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, but I have to be with my Savior because I trust his heart. When you think about this shame and this performance, I said this, the way out of these traps is trust. When you see Christ, because my performance blinds me to Christ and my shame blinds me to Christ. When I see Christ, you run to Christ. You get out of that trap by trusting in who Christ is and his heart and his mind for you. And that's exactly what Peter did. And he swam the shore and he got up there and he got settled. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, why don't you and I have a little breakfast? So I build a fire, I put some fish on it, verse 15, chapter 21 of John. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And what Jesus was doing was he was pulling Peter out of his trap of performance and pulling Peter out of his trap of shame and he was restoring him to the relationship that he called him to be in in the first place. When he looks at Peter, he says, do you love me? And Peter's like, I love you. Jesus says, then what I want you to do, feed my lambs. I want you to nurture my children, care for the church. Peter, do you love me? I love you. Then, Then take care of my sheep, guard and protect my flock. Peter, do you love me? then feed my sheep. I'm trusting you with the well-being of my 
family. Peter looks at Jesus and what he sees in Jesus and receives from Jesus is restoration. Restoration from his arrogance and restoration from his, his, his shame. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're not your performance, you were never your performance, you just thought you were. You were deceiving yourself. And you're not your shame. You were never your shame in me. You were deceiving yourself. Who you are is who I called you to be. And I want you out of that boat, Peter, and back here doing what I called you to be. I want you to care for the church, build the church, proclaim the truth of who I am to the world around you. Your proclamation of me, your confession of me is what you're gonna build your life off of. Peter, do you love me? I love you, do you? I'm restoring you, do you love me? You know that I love you. I'm restoring you. Do you love me, Jesus? You know my heart. You know why I tried too hard. You know how terrible I feel. You know I love you. All right. Then you and I are fine, bud. Let's get back to the work and back to the calling and back to the life that I came to redeem you of and to give to you. My experience is that a lot of people who love Christ live in their boat. And you allow your relationship with Christ to be defined by your darkest moments, by your shame. I did this, that means that I am that. You allow your relationship with Christ to be defined by your performance. I have done so good for so long, surely I am fine. And when we're trapped in that, and we're stuck in that boat, The way out is to look to the shore because Jesus is so close. What Peter didn't do was he didn't pop up the sail and get away because he was so ashamed. What he didn't do was ignore, yeah, 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 I've heard that a thousand times, but that cannot apply to me. What he did was he just jumped out and he ran to Christ. And he grabbed hold of him. And Jesus looked at him and said, buddy, this is the life that we're gonna live with each other. This is the calling I have on you. This is the freedom that I want you to live in. And this is what you build your life off of. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? then let's embrace. Embrace the forgiveness I've given you. Embrace my grace. Embrace my calling. Embrace the life. Get out of that boat. I think my fear always is, is that Christ is within sight. 
but the boat is familiar. And the wonder and the power and the authority that God wants to bring to bear on our life, not because we earned it and because we don't deserve it. That's the life he's called us to. I want us to do something different here tonight. I'm gonna ask the band to come out. I asked them to play a song for us, a song about resurrection, a song about the power of God. I want us to stand up, let's stand together. And I wanna sing this song and I wanna sing it out as like a strong praise to God. I, I want us to kinda like make a proclamation that this is who Christ is, and this is what Christ has done, and this is the calling on your life. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the work that Jesus has done in your life. And we are to live by nothing else. Living by anything else is claiming that I don't need who Christ is or what Christ has done. So I don't want us to deceive ourselves. I don't want us to lie to ourselves. I want the truth of God to be powerful in our life as we confess who Christ is and what he's done. Do you love him? Do you love him? Yes. Do you love him? Yes. Then let's live in that love together. Let's sing this together and celebrate who Jesus is.